Whitcomb Ministries wishes you a blessed new year. I'm Wayne Shepherd, hoping you'll stay tuned to this classic rerun as we set a course for the year ahead here on Encounter God's Truth. We're going to listen as Dr. John Whitcomb takes us to a wonderful passage that gives us the perspective we need to live and please God in 2023. Thanks for listening. Happy New Year from Encounter God's Truth. I'm Wayne Shepherd, encouraging you to stay tuned to a unique New Year's edition of our program. Today, author and theologian Dr. John Whitcomb surveys Colossians chapters 2 and 3 to help us toward the goal of holding heaven's perspective on earth. We're going to focus our attention on Christ and His Word in order that we might have the proper direction for the course to take in this year ahead. This is a very special message, as it was recorded this past fall at Answers in Genesis Creation Museum, where Dr. Whitcomb addressed the staff members. Here he is now with his message called, Holding Heaven's Perspective on Earth. Norma and I are so grateful for this renewed opportunity to bond with you, dear people. Uh, Saturday afternoon, our family was here from Pittsburgh and elsewhere, and And I was astounded at how much improved, beautiful, helpful, informative, enlightening, illuminating your displays are since we were here even just two short years ago. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Just a few thoughts for a few moments on setting our mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. This is one of my favorite passages. Colossians chapter 3. Verses 1 to 4. If or since you then have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. You know, friends, these four verses are simply packed solid with precious, infinitely glorious truths. I wonder if you knew something about the resurrection of Jesus that this passage teaches. Now listen carefully. Since you have been raised up with Christ... Now, of course, we all know that when Christ rose from the dead, that was a vindication of his claim to be God's own son. He had predicted over and over again, I will die and rise again, rise again. And so the father, of course, uh, gave him a glorified body. And they didn't have to pull the stone away to let him out. He just went right through that stone and through a closed door into that upper room with a glorified body. Amazing. Vindicating his claim to be God's own son. A second thing the resurrection of Jesus teaches us. This is from 1 Corinthians 15. That Christ is the first fruits of them that slept and afterward they that are his that is coming. So what he experienced, every born again Christian for the last 2,000 years will also experience resurrection or rapture, glorified body like he had, presumably with some of the capacities that Jesus demonstrated after his resurrection. You and I will have the same kind of body. 
But there's a third thing that the resurrection shows us. It shows us that not on resurrection, rapture day, but from the moment we were born again, we experienced a new life in him. That's the point here. Since you have been raised, now look at this, since you have been raised up with Christ, you and I, dear friends, have already, in one sense, been resurrected already. That's the point here. Really, yes, now keep reading. Since you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Remember Isaiah 26, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Thank you, Lord. I'm beginning to get a message here from you. Now, set your mind on things above. Well, why should we do that? Well, here's a couple of reasons from Colossians. But listen to maybe three reasons why we should set our mind on him. I know we have many things to think about on this earth. Jobs, responsibilities, family, friends, neighbors, people to talk to. But God says, be sure when you start your day, you finish your day, you fulfill your day, setting your mind on him. I find myself once in a while just stop where I'm walking and say, thank you, God, for telling me what I should be doing in relationship to you. All right, here's the first reason. It's a good idea to set your mind on Christ. Colossians chapter 2, look at verse 3. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus Christ knows everything about everything. He is omniscient. You have never met a person like that on this earth, and you never will. God says, would you like to know the real reason, the ultimate reason, the purpose, the significance, the meaning of everything that's happening in the world and in your government and your family and your life? Then set your mind on him. He has the answers. He's got them. But, but listen to another reason. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. The fullness of deity He's not a half God or partial God. He is totally God forever and ever. And in him, you have been made complete. Do you ever feel incomplete? Lord, help me to realize I can't function. I can't say anything, do anything that pleases you without your help, without relating to you every moment of every day. He is the head over all rule and authority. Here's another reason, a third one. Listen to verse 18 and 19. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement, worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head. Hold fast to the head. That's Jesus, the head of the body. From whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. You want to grow in your life in Christ? Then set your mind on him. Hold fast to the head from whom the entire body is strengthened for growth. Now, can you imagine anything more silly 
than some part of my body to say, I'm sick and tired of being told by the brain what to do all the time. The, the hands, you know, says this. I'm, ever since I came into the world as a part of this human being, I've been told what to do. By the way, appreciate your prayers. My hands are more like the, I can hardly write anymore. I say, Lord, would you please take a look at my hand and help me? Wonder if my hand is tired of being told what to do all the time and says, I'm going to detach myself from the arm and from the body and do my own thing. I don't want to be told by the head all the time what to do. What would happen? Total disaster. At that exact moment, the hand will be not wobbling anymore, not doing anything. It's just absolutely rigid. And even worse, it begins to decay and rot. Awful. Don't detach yourself from the head. Keep connected. Keep part of the body. Consciously, deliberately, voluntarily, moment by moment, day by day. Thank you, Lord. I I think I have already had enough information to take you seriously. That I need to set my mind on things above, not just sun, moon, and stars, but upon you infinitely beyond everything I can see is at the right hand of your father that's where you are right now help me to keep my mind on you on you now friends something is about to be revealed here that is to me profoundly shocking you say now Dr. Whitcomb I'm so busy preoccupied overwhelmed with jobs responsibilities how can I set my mind on things above That's a big challenge, to seek heaven, think heaven. You know, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of God. How can I do that? How can I do that? The answer is shocking. Listen to this. For you have died. Now, wait a minute. I can do all these things with my mind and my heart, my soul, my conscience, toward Christ at the right hand of the Father because I've died it would seem to me sir Apostle Paul that if I've died I can't do anything that's a deep mystery of the Christian life you have died to what? to sin's power Satan's power lust false thinking confusion suicidal mentality You have died to those things. Thank you, Lord. Now, you know, this book of Colossians makes a big point of this. You've died. You're dead. You are dead. To what? To everything you were before you were saved. Really? Well, take a look. Look at chapter 2, verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your transgressions, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven transgressions. Why? Uh, Listen to verse 20. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles, why is if you were living in the world, you submit yourself to all these legalistic, man-made, religious decrees, restrictions, No, no. One of the major themes, as you know, of Colossians is don't allow people to shove you into a false, fakey, self-centered religion. 
don't go off to some monastery or some nunnery or some kind of a Hindu uh, contemplative thing, uh, some religious requirements, you remember. Let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or festivals or new moon or Sabbath, things which are a mere shadow of what's to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You say, Lord, I'm amazed at this, that I can do all these amazing things because I have died. Thank you, Lord. Help me to act in the light of that. So I'm trying to help myself if you'll pardon that expression, to begin each day waking up saying, Lord, thank you, I'm dead. Did you ever think that? Uh, Paul recommends that. I'm dead to everything I would be doing, thinking, saying, if it weren't for you. I have been raised together with Christ. I have a brand new life, a new focus, a new direction, a new purpose, a new perspective on everything I ever think, say, and do with you. Wow. You do know, don't you, that the minute we die or are raptured, we'll be presented before Christ at the judgment throne, the the Bema, 1 Corinthians 3. At which point, we will give an account for everything we've ever said or done and why. The motives behind every word, every act, will be brought to light. Everything hidden in darkness comes to light. Some will suffer loss, not of their salvation, but you understand. They will be saved, yet so as by fire. A loss of reward, of crowns, of honor. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If, if, if. Wonder if we didn't. That will be brought to light at the Bema. Well, friends, there's something else that's going to be brought to light The bride, the church, will be wedded to the bridegroom, the head of the body, Jesus. This is Revelation chapter 19. The marriage supper of the Lamb will be celebrated in heaven, the Father's house. All kinds of believing non-Christians will be invited. You say, believing non-Christians? Yes, pre-Pentecost saints like John the Baptist all the way back to Adam and Eve. Noah, his family. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, name them all, thousands of years of history of believers will be brought from the dead and invited to be participants, observers of the great wedding of the bride, the church, to Christ the Lord. Can't wait, can't wait. Because when that happens, the whole universe will see who true believers are as opposed to those who are mere professing believers. You say, where does it say that? All right, here's the next verse, Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God, hidden. But when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. You know, today, it's not only next to impossible for an unbeliever to be able to say, that is a true Christian. It's almost impossible for every Christian to know who all the true Christians are. Some people are sort of, I mean, you understand what I say this carefully, are borderline Christians. You just can't tell whether they really in their heart have accepted Christ as their Savior and their Lord. We use this awful expression, carnal Christians. Now, friends, 
on that day, there'll be no doubt. The whole universe will know who true believers are. You say, really? Yes. Listen to what John said in, in his first epistle. It doth not yet appear what we shall be. That's a great understatement. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall appear with him. We'll be like him. And this hope we have in him purifies us, even as he is pure. I say, Lord, I, I, I want to be ready. Whatever else I do, whatever else I think and say, I want to be sure before you, my heart being open to the word of God, that I will be revealed with Christ on that grade that's coming. You know why it's going to happen? Because his answers in Genesis has been raised up by God to emphasize Jesus as the Alpha, the beginning. May I add a footnote to that? He's also the Omega, the end, and the whole alphabet in between. From Alpha to Omega, from beginning to end, he is it. The alphabet of God in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for what you told me. Let's pray. Father, I pray for answers in Genesis. I pray for Ken Ham, his team, some of whom are here at this very moment in this room. May this be not the beginning of a decline, but the beginning of a new growth in maturity, spiritually speaking, in the light of your precious infallible word, because the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing soul under of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And I say thank you, Lord Jesus, for the word of God. Infinitely powerful, totally sufficient. Help us here this morning as a part of this great Answers in Genesis ministry to open our hearts as perhaps never before to who you are, Lord Jesus, what you're doing, what you said, and everything you recorded by the Holy Spirit in this precious book. Help us, even today, to experience that blessing. I pray in our Savior's wondrous name and for his glory. Amen. Well, may that be our prayers. We begin this year together. You're listening to Dr. John Whitcomb on Encounter God's Truth from Whitcomb Ministries. Please connect with us on our website, whitcombministries.org. We want to thank our friends at the Creation Museum in Petersburg, Kentucky, for permission to broadcast this sermon, which was originally given for their staff members. Today's message takes us right to the heart of the purpose for this broadcast, which is to remind you every week that God's Word is true from the beginning to the end. And in that spirit, Dr. Whitcomb comes back now to tell us more about how we can study the Bible personally and faithfully in the year ahead. Friends, it's so important to know how to read, study, understand the written Word of God, the Bible. We all have heard of its significance, supreme significance, but how many of us are diligently, carefully, faithfully studying it? It's on our shelf, yes, maybe several translations, but listen, friends, it's not so much which translation you're reading as you're reading the Word of God itself. And if you don't read the original Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, a good translation into English, and you can check your pastor, your 
your friends in whom you have confidence as mature Christians to help you find a good study Bible with good footnotes and especially good marginal cross-references to other Bible verses. You know why? Because the Bible is its own best interpreter. Not some great scholar or theologian, but let the Bible explain itself to you. Start maybe with the Gospel of John. Look up those cross-references. Get a good, sharp ink pen, a ballpoint pen that won't bleed through the page. And mark those references so that it may take you longer, maybe a whole year on the Gospel of John, but at least you've mastered that book. Now, friends, even the great Apostle Peter, the chief of the Twelve Apostles, admitted that some Bible study is difficult. Listen to what he said in the last paragraph of his last letter, Second Peter 3. He said, "...in regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things, now listen, some things hard to understand. Of course, much of the Bible is difficult for most people who are raised in a godless, evolutionary, secular culture." Listen, some things he said that Paul wrote in his letters are hard to understand. What do we do? Ignore them? Reject them? No. Listen, which the untaught and unstable distort as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. In other words, don't give up. Don't say it's too hard. I give up on this. No, don't remain in willful ignorance. Do what? Here's what Paul said to his favorite disciple, Timothy. 2 Timothy 2, 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman. I mean, this requires work, friends, not just like glancing through the cartoons of a newspaper or something. This takes some thinking, and God has equipped every one of us in his image and likeness and a brain and a mind and a heart to, to understand things, if you really want to in your heart. As a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. You know, someday when we meet the Lord, even as Christians, we may be ashamed before him at his coming. First John chapter 2. Because we have to give an account to him of what we've done with his word. The most pre- Turn off the TV. Turn it aside from the newspapers. Let the Bible be your primary study each day. And God will honor you and reward you and bless you richly if you do that. Well, why is the Bible so important? Well, listen to what Paul said to Timothy in chapter 3, verse 15. He said, from childhood, you have known the sacred writings, which are able, now listen, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. How? Through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. By what means? Now listen, all scripture, that's the whole Bible, is inspired by God. That means God breathed, God created. God used 40 writers through 2,000 years to write the Bible. And it's profitable, first for what? For teaching. And then for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Thank you, Lord. I see the significance of the Bible. It is uniquely inspired. God told these writers what he wanted them to write. Their own vocabulary, their own personality, yes, but he wanted the final words of the Bible to be his words for us and forevermore. We say thank you, Lord for giving us a Bible that isn't thousands of pages long. It's not full of all kinds of obscure things that only scholars can understand. Even a child can read and believe and understand the basics of the Bible. 
And I say, Lord, help me to do that as I've never done it before. And I'm speaking to myself, dear friends. How do you handle the precious, infallible, inerrant, inspired scripture, the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation? 66 books of the only library God has ever inspired and written, the Bible. Thank you, God, for your written word of truth. Indeed, we thank God for his written word of truth, the only library God has ever inspired. Another source for teaching on that word may be found at windowforwomen.blogspot.com. All the ladies who are listening are especially invited to read the latest devotional thoughts of Mrs. Norma Whitcomb there at windowforwomen.blogspot.com. We trust you'll be nourished by this teaching, and you can find that link on our regular web pages as well. You can join us anytime at sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb, where you can listen to the entire library of broadcasts we've produced on Encounter God's Truth. You can also read many articles from Dr. Whitcomb and listen to recordings that go back 25 years. You'll also want to make sure to start this new year with us on facebook.com slash Whitcomb Ministries, where you'll find regular encouragement in all the latest news from our ministry. And we have more exciting plans to proclaim God's Word to you in this new year, and you'll want to join us next time to find out all about that. Right now, for Dr. Whitcomb and everyone here at Encounter God's Truth, I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you to live this new year by holding heaven's perspective on earth. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. May God bless you in this new year.